The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like power shifts, sisterly comparisons, and being anxiously attached and gay. Double whammy. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. (laughs) Thank you. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not mental health experts, practitioners, learned in any important ways. We're literally English majors who um, had the wherewithal to purchase microphones for ourselves and then spout whatever we think we want to say. (laughs) So Yeah. On top of that, we're just two fallible humans, so please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble musings, hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Okay, um, in a in a rare twist, I found the check <laughs> check in topic for today, and I'm going to blindside Sierra with it. So <laughs> <laughs> the tables <I> have <laughs> turned. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) He suggested it this morning via text message. And I was like, oh, cool. I can be totally unaware as I normally make you feel. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, So today when I was going onto the New York Times website to find the crossword and the wordle, which is not working for me um, because apparently the New York Times (laughs) thought I had too much joy in my life. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. He's worried his streak is going to get ruined. Yes. (laughs) Um, I found this article that that is entitled... 
seven simple exercises to strengthen your relationship. Sounds applicable. I thought it would be fun for us to go through it and decide whether or not we agree with this advice that is like scientifically backed and um, researched. (laughs) (laughs) The audacity of us. (laughs) All right. I'm ready. Great. Okay. So um, number one is keep track of the good stuff, which is identify at least five things that your partner routinely does to show you love. And keeping track of the big and little things. So not just like they bought me a house (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But also like they compliment my my dinner or they help me clean up after we after I make dinner or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds good. (laughs) There's nothing harmful about that. No, I think that that is actually really helpful and um, relates to the advice that my friends um, Mike and Allison gave us on the podcast when Peter and I got married, which is that like always thank people or your partner for the thing that oh, they're yeah. doing, um, which I have taken to heart and is just so nice. Like Peter and I like say thank you for stuff all the time to each other. And it's great because it makes us both feel appreciated and like yeah. seen for what we're doing. Yeah. And actually I like this because the, the flip side of it is we we're only seeing the negative. We're only seeing the socks mm-hmm. on the floor. We're mm-hmm. only seeing the times in which they don't notice that we like put makeup on or, you know, like we, our hearts seek out hurt sometimes, you know? Um, And I think that it's a really good thing to intentionally rewire our brain to notice the small good things, notice the consistencies, notice the actions of support and love that manifest in all different types of affection, you know, whether it's like bringing out the toaster every morning for you Mm -hmm. or, you know, I always try to thank Willow when she does the dishes. Um, I always try to acknowledge the little things because I think it puts you in a gratitude mindset, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So number two is hold hands, um, which is not just like when you're walking down the street, hold hands, but actually hold hands when you're having difficult conversations. Mm. Wow. I actually, I love that one. I, how do you feel about that one? Um, I think it's actually really good. Um, and I read about the research that's backing this up in that book. I read um, the all or nothing marriage, yes. um, which is that they've like done studies of people who, and they've done like, they've put them into stress by like giving them like a mild shock um, and then measured their brainwaves. Like if they were by themselves, if they were yeah. holding a stranger's hand or if they were holding the hand of their, their spouse or partner. Um, wow. And they were significant, like it was better if you held anyone's hand, but it was significantly better if you held your partner's hand. Wow. Um, and it's interesting because I really like the idea of holding hands, especially in hard conversations, because it's like, Me too. we're partners in this together and we're both experiencing the discomfort of whatever is happening here, but we're still like in it with each other. I love that. I love it too, because I imagine that if you, you you have this act of intimacy and tenderness, it's a lot harder for your subconscious like wounds to take over. You know, you're you're less likely to say that nasty thing that is just like, you know, that comes to mind easily or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it really it grounds you in the physicality that you're both here in this discomfort and adds like this le- level of tenderness, like you said. Yeah. Um, I love that. Great. Uh, cool. So the next one is read to each other, which is like read out of your books or magazines or like sections of things that you've been reading to them. Um, which I hate. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't want That's to. Fascinating. Uh, I don't want to read to people, and I also don't want to be read to. <laughs> like, That's fascinating. W- did you read the science behind it? The science behind it is that um, couples glow, grow closer together when we reveal something about ourselves and share new thoughts and ideas. So I, I think that you can do that without having to read to each other. Like, I don't. You could say, hey, Peter, I, and then. I read this in an article and you could generalize the idea and bring it to yeah. them. Cause mm-hmm. I do think there's something to be said about now that I hear that explanation, there is something to be said about learning and growing together or processing information together. Oh, didn't you think this was interesting? And it also like changes up your daily routine. Like I love when Willow's reading a new book on a new subject. Cause then we, you know, it changes up our topic, our topics of conversation, you know? Yes. And actually my, my check-in topic is going to be a book that we're, reading at the same time simultaneously like individually but we're both reading oh, it cute. It's, a li- it's, a, it's a library book we're sharing <laughs> oh that's, that's adorable first of all <laughs> um the next one is accept the small problems so write down one or oh, two I of told- your partner's yeah. annoying habits that create occasional conflict in your relationship um and then you can share them with each other without judgment but use it as an as a way to build curiosity about why they're doing that thing so it's like, oh, you always leave all the cabinet doors open and it's so frustrating. But instead being like, I noticed that you leave all the cabinets doors open. Why do you do that? And then they can mm-hmm. say, I don't know, because I just don't think about it. Or like, I don't know, it's like a thing that my parents did too. And I just like learned it. Or I'm like so mm-hmm. focused on cooking that I don't think about closing the cabinet doors. Mm-hmm. So that you can like humanize it as opposed to and like understand it better and recognize that it's not malicious. It's just like, yeah, because of the pattern that they have. Totally. I think that that is so important, especially in long term relationships where you do get really annoyed by small habits instead of villainizing them. Just recognize that your partner is a totally different person than you Mm -hmm. um, and and coming to that understanding. um yeah. I think about the fact that like Willow is a busybody um and <laughs> <laughs> well she, well like you know she will always clean the dishes before I do. Like she'll always get to them before I do. Got it. Not and, a busybody like a nosy person. A person who's just busy. <laughs> is that what that word means? <laughs> yeah. No. Yes it no. does. Yeah, busybody no, is I, is I'm someone Googling who's in that. every who's in everyone's business. <laughs> I'm Googling that. <laughs> no, no. I mean like a literal physical body that is busy. Yeah, no. So then you said that and I was like, really? Because I feel like she's always just <laughs> off in her own world. Like she does not care what other people are doing or up to. <laughs> okay. Well, I will be Googling that while you're reading a letter. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I meant like she keeps herself busy. So she'll mm-hmm. always do, you know, she'll always get to the task first. And we had to have like a heart to heart where I was like, I, you just move faster than me. And now she sometimes reminds her, I I can be like, I'll say like, oh, I did the dishes. And she said, oh, thank you so much. Um, I, I knew you would get to them or something like that. You know, like seeing the humanity in me instead of assuming that I'm doing it maliciously or, or waiting for her to do it. Yeah. Anyway, that was. For sure. I'm just lazy. So that's why I don't do anything. (laughs) Um, See, but I can see the humanity in that. Yeah, right. I'm just tired all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, Aren't we all? The the research behind this, which I just want to like 
talk about because I think it's super interesting. But uh, researchers know that 70% of the conflicts we have with our partners are never actually resolved. Oh, I love that. I've, heard, I've read that statistic before, and that really shifted my understanding of how I was going to move through my marriage. Yeah, you know? it's about conflict management, not conflict resolution. It's like you just got to figure out how to wait, move, move through it. Okay, next yeah. one. Share your perfect day. So imagine your perfect day and discuss it in as much detail as you reveal information about your likes, dislikes, hopes, and dreams. Okay, sure. <laughs> that right. feels like a <clears throat> sure I'm sh I don't think that there's harm to it unless like your perfect days were misaligned and you somehow took that personally because you're an extremely sensitive Gemini I mean I don't know who would what be who like would do that, that? But... definitely not Sierra <laughs> would definitely not do that somehow read into this that we're deeply incompatible <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I want yeah, ice cream I, and, and, and you I'm want somehow cake failing yeah, <laughs> yeah no I would literally be like why aren't I an ice cream person <laughs> anyway um, the reason why they recommend this is because um, it's facilitating closeness between between you and your partner by sharing parts of yourself that you okay, might not sure. share otherwise. But it's a, more about like, how are you practicing asking each other questions and like getting to know each other and seeing each other as, as humans? Got it. Sure. Okay. Good job, New York Times. Yeah. <clears throat> so feel each other's heartbeats. So like literally like standing face to face from each other, looking at each other's eyes. I put my hand on your chest. You put your hand on my chest and we like look at each other for 60 seconds. How much seconds. do you hate that? I hate it so much. And we just <laughs> feel each other's heartbeats. Um, <clears throat> uh, and you're not supposed to giggle, which I'm like, a little. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so. unfair. <laughs> that triggers me to think of like a weird, like Cosmopolitan magazine article that I read, like, I don't know, when I was like 20, that was for like sure. 78,000 things you can do to spice up your love life. And one of them was like, align your heartbeats. <laughs> and I will never forget it. I read it probably when I was like, I don't know, a 19 year old or something. <laughs> yeah. This, I feel like this is the beginning <laughs> of your anxious attachment style. Like do this thing that your body has actually no control over. And if you can't, then that means you're not in love. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to like move my body, find pleasure and align our heartbeats? <laughs> anyway, um, let's just, the, I get it. Go ahead. And they, they, it's based on research that said that like this, doing this actually like, allows for closeness in ways that other stuff doesn't like it's actually like the process of spending that much time looking into each other's eyes is really helpful i i do have to say i follow like um a, a conscious parenting account um that also talks about like conscious coupling choices mm -hmm. and the the i can't remember the account off the top of my head i'm sure i'll shout it out at some time um talked about like Spending intentional time sitting with your partner close to them, looking into their eyes and like just breathing with them, which sounds like maybe anxiety inducing to some folks, but it does slow you down and rem remind you that your partner is a human mm -hmm. and that you're that you're again holding like the holding hands. You're doing this intimate thing, which is coupling, which is leaning into hard conversations, which is trying to assume the best of your partner, you know. Right. And I think this of all of them is probably the the least intuitive for me and probably many listeners. But I do think there's something to be said about like reminding each other that you are two humans in physical bodies 
together. I don't know. For sure. I, I, I hate it less now. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think like Peter and I do this in different ways too. Like when like one of us goes to bed, we don't just like, okay, good night. Like peck on the, the lips and then yeah. like go to, but it's like we spend intentional time like saying good night to each other. Like both yeah. of us like being present um, because it's a reminder of like, we're not just like two people who are like cohabitating. Right? Ships like, passing in the right? night. Yeah. We're like intentionally being together and like brain chemicals touch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. So the last one is practice gratitude together. So write down three things about your partner for which you feel grateful and then read those things to each other uh, and talk about what you, what you're experiencing as those, as you're reading those things. I love that because, um, something that I've been trying to do in my partnership is just talk about the ways in which my partnership enriches my life on a, on a daily basis, because it like it, for me, it hones our focus, right? Well, what are we prioritizing? What peace are we protecting? What joy are we uplifting? Um, or are we seeking, you know, um, this makes a lot of sense to me, whether it's like writing a list and sharing it or just making it a daily practice. Like we talked about earlier of just expressing gratitude, expressing what, what, what works about your relationship and what you love about it, what you appreciate about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are many studies that show that like spending time in gratitude can actually like change the shapes of your brain because it's like it's mm-hmm. rerouting all of the the ways that are or like the pathways that our brain uses most often. So um, I love this and I love the idea of also using your own practice of gratitude with your partner to help like or partners, I should say, to help yes. create some of that that bonding while you're also practicing that gratitude. So, yes, I think it's great. Absolutely. Cool. Good job, New York Times. Yeah, those are all pretty good. Nice work. <laughs> they're, they've like been reason. waiting for that endorsement. They were like, what are Sam yeah. and Sierra going to say about this yeah, article? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're like, good job, scientists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we that's right. We give you an A+. Plus. <laughs> Your research seems in, like I can understand it, so therefore it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some letters. Okay. This letter is from Missing Him But Here For It, whose pronouns are she, her, whose location is... 25% down a slip and slide to the past, death gripping a celebratory beer. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, that familiar place that we have all been. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I love you both. This podcast has helped me gain not only self-awareness and emotional skills, but also so much empathy for listeners in situations I've never experienced. Thank you for brightening my 2021. Here's the sitch. I, she, her, then 24, and my ex, he, him, then 27, met at a music festival in 2019, where we were staying in the same campsite linked by mutual friends. And I don't mean a Coachella music festival. I mean a roll around in the dirt and dance like a crazy person in the forest kind of music festival. That place is a magical, meaningful home to me with a lot of personal development history over the years of attending. So it felt like a true force when we locked eyes and fell deeply in love one night. I will never forget it. Enough with the woo-woo love story. You get it. We lived within an hour of each other and dated for over a year, falling deeper in love, but it was a hard year. I hated my job and developed debilitating chronic migraines as the result of stress. He was my hero during that time, but we were each a mess in different ways, and we fought a lot. Things got better for one hot second when we both quit, found new jobs, and moved to the city where we really wanted to be, and most of our friends, both mutual and separate, lived, each finding our own apartments. 
Not three weeks later, COVID hit. And you know the drill. It was a dark time full of fear and uncertainty. We fought more. And a few months later, he said the most hurtful things yet during the heat of a fight. So I ended it. I needed to be done, but it was so painful. We knew we were still in love. I don't feel the need to tell you why and what we fought about, but I will admit that our fights were pretty nasty. Toxic vibes where we really tried to hurt each other verbally. I plan to eventually talk to a therapist about it because I never want to be that angry, reactive, hurt version of myself ever again. What I want to ask is this. If we ever try to get back together, how do we navigate doing so in the healthiest way possible? We're both in way better places now. He's been to therapy. I meditated my way out of migraines. We both advanced in our careers and bought houses, dated other people casually, made new friends, and are generally stable, happy, independent. Well, from what I know about his life anyway. We've been broken up for coming on two years, longer than we dated. I know I still love him, and after a year and a half of not speaking, recently we caught up and now text every couple weeks, openly discussing that we miss each other, but that maybe we shouldn't try it yet again yet. Why? Because I am still angry about the things he said and did, and I can't be certain of how much he has changed. Maybe we'd slip right back into fighting. I know right now I still resent things, and I'm at risk of dredging up the past. Plus, we have this dynamic where I have all the power because he was begging for me back when I ended it. I'm afraid I'll abuse the dynamic by forcing him to apologize all the time. But maybe eventually we can do it. We both still want to. What head and heart work can I do to make this possible on my end? I'll be hoping he's doing the same, or I can even suggest things to him. We have an honest, open line of communication right now, despite there still being space. Or maybe I'm thinking about this wrong and need to just do me, leaving things up to the universe. Thank you so much for reading this. I'm wishing you the absolute best in 2022. Thank you so much for writing, missing him, but here for it. I I think that there's a great question in this letter about how do you let go of anger? Um, I'm not going to comment upon whether or not like we should get back with our exes with whom we had super toxic fights with. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, I think I, I have some concerns about that, but I, I recognize that we're all human and we can grow and change, especially when we're doing the work to examine why we responded in that way. But I relate deeply to the what feels like the inability to give up my anger or resentment over past hurt because something within me thinks that getting over that anger would mean giving up my power and mm. letting someone like putting myself in a position where someone could hurt me again. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I processed a lot of these ideas when I was um, intentionally trying to heal myself from an abusive relationship. And I ended up writing a, a book about it, a, a book of poems and, um, a lot of the poems and a lot of the things that I was processing were about how like I didn't want to forgive him because I didn't want to feel vulnerable again. I didn't mm. want, I didn't know how to accept the injustice of like that hurt. Um, I didn't know that I could just accept it and that still wouldn't make it okay. You know, like there was a lot of like mental hangups during that process. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I resonate with, um, with at least part of what you're saying there around, like, I also find it really difficult to forgive, um, because I think that, or I have an idea that forgiving someone means that my pain can no longer be acknowledged or that yes. like my pain's not real anymore. 
um, or that I have to like uh, give up that pain in some way. Um, and I do really struggle with that, honestly, like still, <laughs> like, I don't know that I found a good place. I think it's so human, especially because like one of my big wounds is like feeling like I haven't been seen or that like people will never see me. Um, yeah. So like the idea of, I often forgive people cause I don't think that my pain is worth like taking up space anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I I definitely feel that. And I think that there's also something that's really like intoxicating about having been so deeply hurt by someone and then having all the power in the relationship too. Of you like, said it. They're begging me to to come back or they've begged me. And now I get to like enact all of the things that I want. Um, and I like, I don't say that to say like, you're a bad person or, or I'm a bad person for like being in that type of position. I'm just saying that like, it's one of those things to be mindful of in a way that's like, maybe I don't even need access to that power. Right. Like I think that there's a world in which you could say, or all of us really could say like, I'm working on doing my own head and heart work and I'm trying to find a place where I, or I'm trying to like, sort of heal myself so that I can be better in relationships. And I know that this relationship I'm never going to be healthy in, <laughs> right? Like yeah. I'm never going to be the, I'm never going to be able to use the tools that I um, have been working on because the old tools are so familiar in this relationship. And I just know it's never going to work. Like I, like there are people in my life who I can't be friends with because I can't use the tools <laughs> that I have yes. in my in my toolbox with those people for whatever reason it is. And I am like the tools I have aren't working. So I need to not be with that person anymore or around that person anymore. Um, and I just want to say that in the, because I want to like also open the opportunity for you to like, not just say like, I love this person. And so therefore we need to be back together and instead say you love this person. And I don't know what, your relationship with this person is going to look like moving forward. Um, and it may be one of those situations where it's like, we just can't get back together because we don't have the, we're so ingrained in the old ways of doing things that we can't find a way out and we can't find a, a place to like coexist functionally. I'm glad you said that because I said earlier that I didn't want to comment on, or I wasn't going to comment on like whether or not we should get back with our toxic exes. But I think that's a perfect perspective to highlight which is that like sometimes all the head and heart work in the world does not free us from our humanness and our and our brokenness and sometimes we are just we fall into patterns of behaviors with people that are so deeply difficult to move past you know like i i i guess i guess the the conclusion of, of that statement that I really want you to hear letter writer is that you don't ever have to be able to get past this just because you love him just because we have you have this like magical story with this person and it feels like you guys didn't do your best so that there's this unfulfilled you know narrative about your relationship doesn't necessarily mean that relationship is meant to be fulfilled in a different way or it doesn't necessarily mean that you should, you know, try again necessarily. Mm -hmm. However, like I totally get it. I totally get being different people and wanting to try again. And I respect that. So um, I'll reiterate something Sam said, which is a, like a little uh, affirmation that you can say to yourself that, um, you know, 
just because I am not being reactive about something doesn't mean my pain isn't valid, like mm-hmm. the pain of the initial thing. You know, if you forgive him and and decide to change, you know, let go of some of that anger, get off of that. I think I described it in one of my poems as like a throne of entitlement when somebody is like, when somebody has done you wrong, it, it we we feel like it makes us feel safer, you know, like that's, a, that's a sounds weird to say, but like when you know, somebody's done, done you wrong, that is actually a safer feeling to me, Sierra, than when I'm questioning whether or not the wrong is real. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you can just remind yourself in this head and heart work process that like, yeah, the pain I felt from this experience is totally valid and isn't diminished by me deciding actively that I'm going to work against that automatic subconscious response that I have that makes me reactive, that makes me angry. You know, I think that we like to believe that our, our emotional response to things is our inner compass, that it's that it makes things 100% true or not true, depending on what we feel. But oftentimes our emotions can lead us astray. So in this situation, I would tell myself, just because I feel reactive, just because I feel anger, doesn't mean I want to respond that way. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't mean that my pain isn't valid. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think, what I'll also say is that those feelings of hurt and anger and um, whatever it is that's causing you to be reactive, the goal isn't to get rid of those feelings, right? The goal is to respond differently to those feelings. Because I, I feel like often when when folks are talking about how they want to change and they want to be less reactive, they're like, I just don't want to feel angry anymore. And it's like, well, yes. that's an impossible goal, right? Because like yes. anger, hurt, sadness, frustration are all feelings that are always going to be there. They don't ever go away because feelings are important things that tell us things, right? They they help us understand what we're going through and make sense of the world. Um, and they're going to arise. But the practice is how do you build in time to channel that feeling into something that's going to be productive for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is often literally about pausing, right? It's literally Mm -hmm. about just like stopping and breathing and resourcing yourself, right? Putting your hand on your chest and saying like, yes, you are hurt. And I see you. I see the hurt that you're having. I see how angry you are. And I, I see how, how difficult it is to be so angry, what do we want to do about this situation, right? What do we need in this moment rather than sort of lashing out? Um, And I'm glad that you're looking for a therapist because a therapist can really be helpful in some of these things too, in terms of not only like the tools that you can use in these moments, but also just the practice of talking about your pain, talking about your frustration with somebody who can see it and reflect it back to you and say like, yep, that's true. I see it all. And I believe you. Um, but that's really the that's really at least what for me has been the process of of really practicing doing the self-soothing and the self-healing and the seeing of myself that I need so that I can decide what I want to do with the emotions that are coming up for me. But for a long time I just tried to not have the emotions and that was not successful. Because <laughs> then the emotions <laughs> just came up and I was like, I had no preparation for them because I was like, yes. I'm not going to have that emotion anymore. And then it's like, oh, nope, just kidding. It's here. And so then I'm just like flying with it because that's the I I'm only prepared to not have it, not to deal with it when it happens. Um, 
and that just didn't work. So would would not encourage that route. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up therapy and uh, I second Sam's, um, you know, f- thorough endorsement of it because, you know, this reminds me of like a couple things that I've unpacked in therapy are like some of my most innate subconscious routes of my brain, you know, like, like mm-hmm. you're talking about your anger and how like that's it, it's if it, the way you described it makes me feel like you feel as though you have no control over whether or not you get angry about the past behaviors, which I totally relate to. Um, and something that I noticed in therapy is that like, I would unpack all of my emotions. I would get my experience validated. I would hear different perspectives. I would get new tools and I would still find myself cycling through these emotions and and after a while it became so apparent to me that these were automated emotions mm. and that i didn't necessarily relate to them anymore like my brain was just going to that anger my brain was just going to that hurt mm-hmm. because that's what it was used to and that was like crucial for me in therapy not because of something my therapist said but because i found myself repeating myself and then and then all of a sudden i was like oh dang i have to choose to say something different right now. Mm-hmm. I have to choose to feel something different. And I had to like call myself out because my therapy sessions were becoming very repetitive, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I could see, I don't know if you will relate to this letter writer, but I could like, I feel kindred with your process of letting go of the past hurt because it's like, we can hold on to hurt for the rest of our lives. We could, we could do that. Um, our brains are, our brains support that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately we have to ask ourselves, what is this pain? How is this pain ser- serving us? Is it protecting me? Like they think it is. Is it empowering me the way I think it is this all being said, like I am not commenting on the fact on whether or not you should get back with this person. I don't know this person well enough. I don't know the details of your relationship. I don't know what tools you two are working with right now. So I have no idea. This is more just about like, how do we move forward? How do we, how do we let go of those past cyclical behaviors? And and also like let go of past injustices. Um, mm. I wanted to say really quickly that something that has helped me move forward or break cycles in the past is reframing things. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but like a really simple example is like, did you guys fall in love upon seeing each other at this music festival? Those are the words that you used, but that's not love. That's instant connection. That's infatuation. That's, uh, I don't know, a universal connection, whatever magical terms you want to put to that. I would suggest like, can you reframe what happened? We saw each other and we felt instantly connected and intrigued. We followed that connection and then we started to build what what the foundation of love, but our foundation was really cracked. Our foundation didn't mm. have the right tools or, or whatnot. Um, instead of framing your whole relationship in this instant, immediate, instant gratification love, which we know isn't love. Love takes lots of, work and t- and time to build. You know what I mean? Yep. This is coming from someone who says, I love you in grocery stores regularly after like three weeks. Um, <laughs> just to drag myself. In grocery stores because you are grocery shopping together, right. uh, no, no, which is serious I, the, love the language. The OG <laughs> listeners will get that joke. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> um, but so like that is a small example that I pulled from your letter, but like how can you reframe 
this relationship so that your body can physically change its reaction to the memory of it. Um, Were you guys in love? Um, Was this a healthy love? Were you... Were you doing your the best that you could or or is this unfulfilled? You know, like from my perspective, you did the best you could and you two are inherently incompatible. Are you compatible now? Not sure. Are you the same people? I'm not sure. So. Right. Yeah, no, I absolutely think that that has been helpful for me too, especially when it comes to those folks who like got away and you're like, oh, yes. we, would, we were in love. And it's like, well, love isn't just like a feeling like love is like a a verb it's like Mm. you have to like make intentional decisions to be in love with each other um and to like build towards love together um and often we don't have the tools or we don't have the circumstances to create that type of love uh and and reframing that to be like no we were deeply connected and i love that person um as a person and we can never be together because we just Mm -hmm. don't it doesn't work. We can't, we can't create the type of love that both of us want and need. Um, yeah. and it's, it's a bummer, but it is helpful to, to reframe that, to not say like the universe is like interfering in this like cosmic love story that we have together, but instead saying like, no, we're two people who maybe could have made it work if we had different circumstances or different tools, but we don't. Yeah. And so we can't. Yeah. I totally agree. All right, my darling, um, I hope this uh, at least adds to your tool belt a little bit or gives you something to munch on. Sure. Mm, Um, Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. I'm just trying to change it up, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we love you and we hope this helps. We do. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karakal jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. 
That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Also, I um, Googled busybody and it means a meddling or prying person. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> Just didn't want Add to. Add it to the list. Yeah, no, Add the, it to the list, folks. I know the listeners were really invested in who was right in that situation. No, I um, deeply, I deeply so. forgot. So I'm glad you followed up. And, <laughs> I looked um, that you were like, yeah, I'm going to Google this. It's not about me needing to prove that I was right <laughs> in any way. I just, I'm thinking of the listeners in this situation. Oh, wow. Situation. You generous, generous bitch. Yeah. It's just, it's honestly just the type of person I am. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Uh, our second letter is from Anna Namus, anonymous, but we're going to call her Anna, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing from a downward spiral, LOL. Lots of downward motion in these letters so far. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Hey, Sam and Sierra. What's so cute is like the first letter said Sam and Sierra. <laughs> yeah. And this letter said salmon, like the fish, Sierra, which we uh -huh. love. We still think is funny. We're never going to not think it's funny. <laughs> Honestly, um, when I read Sam and Sierra in the last letter, I started giggling in my head about yeah, Sam and it's, Sierra. <laughs> it's literally going to always be funny to me. Um, but I love that like from here you can't on tell. out, I'm yeah. going to tell you which one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to read this letter. And for all that you do, you both have definitely helped me through some very rough times and have also just been a pair of wonderful voices to listen to when I want to feel good. I'll get right into it. I've been in a relationship with a wonderful man for about six months now, and it's my first healthy and serious relationship in about four years. In those four years, I worked with a therapist and spent intentional time single to be comfortable being alone, grow my confidence, and become a happy, independent woman. When this relationship rolled around, I foolishly thought that my work was done and that I was ready to be a super confident badass in relationship. I couldn't have been more wrong. After we became official, my anxiety did everything it could to sabotage the relationship. A lot of insecurities and fears came up. The usual stupid thoughts like, how could he want to be with me? Or he'll figure out that I'm not that great soon. Enough. I was shocked by all of this due to how much time and energy I put into working on myself, but was thankfully able to work through it and reach a point of being confident in our feelings for each other and feeling utterly safe with him. 
However, a very old and painful wound has recently surfaced that I feel so much shame around, but I'm totally imprisoned by. You see, I have two very beautiful little sisters. Seriously, they could be models. I think I'm beautiful too, but I'm not as photogenic as either of them and have always just felt compared to the one closer in age to me by boys, friends, and my parents. She's two years younger. While I work through a lot of my comparison stuff with her specifically in therapy, my younger sister has become a woman in that time since I last had a boyfriend and is a very hot Gen Zer. And to top it off, she's got the most amazing ass I've ever seen. <laughs> LOL, like it looks fake. Something I don't even have a whisper of. Little butts club. <laughs> I would tell you that Sam's a part of that, but I don't know because I've never seen his butt. That's another it's OG not, throwback for your listeners. Right. It's, uh, it's not little. Oh, <laughs> no! I, uh, it's like the little engine that could. It's like small, but it is. It's perky. <laughs> <laughs> I just love you so much. That's all. My current boyfriend has gone on about how he loves butts and it being a quality I don't feel like I have. It became a breeding ground for insecurity when I brought him home for Christmas and my little sister was walking around in little spandex and gym clothes. I started feeling sweaty and just super uncomfortable and have been unable to let go of the thoughts like, is he getting turned on by that? Or does he wish my body looked like that, etc. It's been particularly difficult because I have some intense wounding in this area already. My last serious relationship with a man who really loved me ended because I walked in on him looking at boudoir photos I had taken of my sister for her wedding. That combined with years in high school of boyfriends comparing us or comments being made about how pretty my sister was all formed a major self-limiting belief that no one would ever choose me if I'm in a room with my sisters. Mm. That I'm amazing and beautiful and great, but not as great as my sisters. It's all so painful and makes me feel like a bad woman, feminist, and sister as well. I want my baby sister to feel empowered in her amazing body and wear whatever she wants. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm in direct losing competition with her. A lot of this has to do with the fact that I've recently turned 30 and I'm struggling with the idea of getting older. I hate that I feel this way and I don't want to have to run through these thoughts every time I take this wonderful man home to hang out with my family as I'm very close with them and I know we will see them a lot. He's assured me that he loves every inch of my body, including my small butt. And the seriousness of this conversation ended up making us both laugh because it felt so ridiculous. But I can't let it go. I keep thinking, well, that other boyfriend loved me so much. And then he still chose to look at those photos. And a part of me believes that this current man will hurt me in a similar way. We've both talked about getting to a point where we are more comfortable and confident being around other people we find attractive and still knowing we are loved and safe in our relationship. But I hate the idea of this, including my sisters. Mm. I want to know that he's not thinking of their beauty or of my baby sister's body, which obviously is an energetic black hole since I'll never know what he is thinking. Overall, I guess I just want to know how to let go of this for good. I want to celebrate other people's beauty while still feeling confident in my own. I don't want to feel threatened being around my lovely sisters. I don't want to hold on to the conditioning of comparison I have in this area anymore. Whatever advice you can give me in regards to this would be greatly appreciated. All right, Anna. Um, thank you for writing this letter to us um, and for sharing this particular perspective because um, my guess is, is that other people with siblings who are of the same gender as them might actually feel like 
kindred to this and the the like constant yeah. comparison that they might be feeling they're subjected to. I know that I feel like I have been constantly compared to my sister and she feels like she's been constantly compared to me, not in looks, but in sort of like achievement and academics and all of that stuff. And it it's hard to have these sort of sibling rivalries that feel really silly because you're like, what does it matter if my sister is objectively or has a bigger butt than I do? Or what does it matter if my sister is has a higher degree than I do? Like what who's making this comparison besides me? <laughs> like I feel like I'm actively hurting myself for no reason. Um, but it's also like super real and and so real. super painful to experience um, this act of comparison because we can tell ourselves that no one else is doing it, but that might not actually be true, right? Like I feel like the conditioning around siblings is that they're inherently compared to each other by other people in a lot of ways too. Yeah, I, this is, I feel like a little tongue-tied um, when approaching this letter because of the dynamic you just talked about, which is like, I'm one of three girls, uh, three, I have two older sisters and, um, I have definitely seen this dynamic play out, whether in my own, um, family or others, you know, um, especially in high school. I just want to point that out that like the examples mm -hmm. I can think of, of the, of this are from high school, which is like a breeding ground of like inept social practices, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Um, uh, and also like, you, you know, you use the phrase conditioning of comparison. Um, and that's just so real. Like we have been, I, I want to be like, none of this is real. And also this is so real, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I feel like I feel a little, uh, uncertain about how to move forward in this advice because, um, because it's complicated and, and, and it's, there's a lot of mixed forces coming at it right now. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I want to also just like start the letter by doing my new favorite practice, which is saying, of course, um, which is all to say that um, the response that you're having in terms of this fear and anxiety is happening because things happened to you, right? It's mm. not that you're just like messed up and weird, right? You are responding to actual, literal, painful, harmful things wow. that have been enacted on you, right? The man that you were in love with was looking at photos of your sister in like a masturbatory way. <laughs> like that's gross and weird and bad. Like, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Like, of course you're feeling this like feeling of like comparison because it actively happened to you. Your all of your boyfriends in college also compared you to your sisters as well, right? Like that, that happened. That is, that is a thing that happened to you and now you're responding to it. Added to the social conditioning that exists in this society around comparing women to each other, right? Yes. And forcing women to be in competition around their looks, around their achievements, right? Like that's real too. So of course you're having these fears. Of course you're having this anxiety. Of course you're having this crisis of confidence because- these things have happened to you and they're, they're right. shaping you. And like, I just want to say that because like, I know that you're, you're like, I want to get rid of this conditioning, but, and that's great. Like I want to, to sort of help you in, in thinking through some of that as well. But also I want to say that like, 
this isn't your fault, right? You're not like uniquely fucked up in this and you're not making any of this up. You're not having a, a stupid reaction to the things that have actually happened to you, right? Like all of this, of course, you're struggling with this because it's happened. It's happened over and over and over again. So of course you're afraid it's happening again. Like what else, why wouldn't you, <laughs> right? Like what other, right. what other option is available to you in this moment besides being like, well, this happened and now I think it's happening again, right? Like, of course, absolutely. So I don't want you to, I don't want you to be thinking in this mindset that I think a lot of us do and which is that I'm uniquely fucked up. Other people could handle this better than I could handle this. Or mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm having such an overreaction to this. Like it's ridiculous. Like none of that is true. This feels to me like a really, really normal and like appropriate response to the, these harmful things that you have been dealing with for your entire life. Absolutely. And it doesn't make you a bad feminist and it doesn't no. make you a bad sister. Mm -mm. Um, I love Sam's refrain of, of course, of course you're experiencing this. And it for sure doesn't make you a bad feminist because like this is cultural conditioning that mm -hmm. we've been taught. And it doesn't make you a bad sister because it's not like you're slut shaming your sister or, you know, keeping your partner from them. Or And like, even if you were, then that's how our wounds manifest. And that's how we become better. We treat our wounds, right? We treat right. our behavior. We, we do better. Right. Um, I, I want to take a moment to, talk about butts <laughs> <laughs> your favorite but first, subject <laughs> no not really but my I, uh my but before that i want to say um you know i love all of the work that you've done on yourself and i love i love the way you talk about yourself and you say like i'm a confident independent woman and i work to be that way and i don't want you to let the silliness of this topic this you know, because you even said in your letter, it feels shameful. It feels embarrassing. I don't want you to let the silliness of this limit um, your seriousness about it or like your, you know, this wound in you deserves the same light that your anxiety does, mm -hmm. the same light that your independence does. And I would encourage you to unpack it with a therapist, like, um, and to continue to unpack it with your boyfriend. Like, yeah, I'm glad you guys laughed because like brevity Brevity often allows us to like lean into the discomfort a little bit more, mm -hmm. but, or not, not brevity, levity. levity. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> I wasn't going to correct Yo, you. Y'all, you guys can record 400 hours of your conversations <laughs> and see how many times you fuck up. Um, <laughs> I've never okay, fucked so up, so levity. I wouldn't know what that's like. Yes. Okay. You beautiful queen. Um <laughs> <laughs> levity allows us to like lean into discomfort. So I just wanted to say like, keep the silliness, but also let yourself recognize that this is a wound that this, that deserves to see the light that deserves to have all the tools applied to it, to see how you can maybe heal this wound differently or how you and your boyfriend can approach it together as a team, because it's from what you've written. It sounds like he's like very available to emotionally and physically to be there for you to, to help you work through that together. Yep. But let's get to butts. I just, this is like a small, silly reframing thing. It's like you describe your sister's butt as perfect. I just want to like point out that like when I was in middle school and high school, uh, in the nineties and early two thousands, 
or middle school in the 90s for sure, um, like the idea of a perfect butt was totally different than what a perfect butt looks like now. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking Kate Moss making weird comments about food and skinniness. You know, like that was like peak beauty at that time. Yep. Um, like rail thin, wafy white women, you know? <laughs> yep. Which we can unpack at a different Ooh, time, yeah. you know, the weird, <laughs> weird cultural implications of that. But, um, I just, just like a small reframing of like, what is a perfect butt? And what is your boyfriend attracted to when he says he likes butts, you know, because I, just like tits and just like balls and everything else, like everybody's body part looks different. And we do have this idea of what a perfect butt looks like because you're like, oh, it, it could be a model's butt. It looks like it's a fake butt. But like that wasn't our ideal our beauty ideal 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody has a different taste. Like, sure, yes, we are 100% influenced by society and culture and fads and fashion industry and, and and I don't know, white supremacy. Like, we are we have all of these inter intersecting um, influences and also we are all autonomous, uh, unique human beings that have that can find beauty and desire in a lot of different ways so like mm -hmm. i just want to encourage you to say like she doesn't have a perfect butt you think she has a perfect butt that's your version of a perfect butt that's not your boyfriend's right. version of a perfect butt right. maybe you know just want to reframe that i get it you know like like i said earlier it all of this exists and none of this exists mm -hmm. <laughs> um and then the other thing i want to talk about regarding butts is do you put every single one of your boyfriend's body parts on a pedestal? Like, do you, are you obsessed? Like every single part of his body, are you like, that is my perfect version <laughs> of, of a belly button, of a navel. Right. His shoulders are a perfect, my, my, my ideal shoulders. You know, like when I fantasize at night about a perfect nose, I think about his nose, right? And, or do you accept the the diversity of his body and find him attractive as a whole being instead of just singular body parts at the same right. time um because i just like i want to be like you have a great ass like what the fuck is a great ass and also i want to be like even if your butt didn't look like what you want your butt to look like your boyfriend is a 100% capable of loving you and wanting you physically like mm -hmm. I I want to affirm that you're like our standards for our body are irrational and also if if your butt doesn't look like what your butt wants it to that also doesn't mean you're like unlovable or undesirable um right. like because we don't we don't view our partner's bodies like that I don't pick apart every part of my lover's body and and put it on this absurd pedestal of perfection um instead I accept this whole person you right. know No I love that I love that idea of like, <laughs> we're more than the sum of our parts, right? We're, yes. We, we're more than the sum of our butts. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Episode title. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that I'll just say too, is that like, um, your boyfriend can see your sister's butt and like it and be attracted to it and still not act on it and still choose to be with you because you are That's more than just your you're more than just your butt. <laughs> like you're And a your whole boyfriend's person. more than just his desire. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And or like not even desire. Not even desire. His like I can see something I like. Or like, yeah. 
It's something. even passive. You know, I think about like people I see on the street that I think are attractive. Like I don't think yeah. about them again. You know, like no, right? It's no. a passing thought. Yeah. Okay. 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 But I think remembering that and also remembering that like this idea that men can't control their urges is like again a socialized idea that we have. Like your boyfriend is right. perfectly con- capable of noticing attractive people on the street, your sister's butt, and maybe appreciating them passively in the way that Sierra is talking about and still not want to do anything about it. Right. And still not be comparing that person to you just right. Like, and giving him, giving him the grace to like, not have to, to stop those emotions in the same way that I want you to give yourself the grace of not having to stop your own emotions, but instead sort of, instead of trying to stop them, trying to to, to see them and appreciate them, right? We don't heal our wounds by like stepping on our wounds. We heal yes. our wounds by by tending to them, right? By by saying the things that we need to hear in order to be healed or the things that we haven't been told, right? So can you say like, my boyfriend is maybe attracted to my sister's butt and my boyfriend is actively choosing to be with me, right? And has told me multiple times that he appreciates the, everything about me And that he can love me even with my small butt, right? Like that he loves me beyond my butt. I'm more than just my butt, right? Like (laughs) also saying things like I have been told over and over again to compare myself to my sisters. And that's been really harmful for me. Yes. And I'm so sorry that people did that to me. I'm, I am so sorry for the hurt that I have, I have, I have felt because of this thing that people have done to me. And I also am accepting that it's not true, that I don't have to do that. And I'm going to forgive myself when I do it because it's learned, right? Like all of this sort of self-soothing stuff. And I don't mean self-soothing in a way that's like, forget about the problems and like do something else. I mean, like literally like soothing the the wound that keeps arising in us um, and not telling ourselves to get over it, right? We can't, we're not like- We've been told over and over. Like that's the that is the narrative we get every single day. Just get over it. It's not important. You should be done with that already. And I'm here to tell you, like, you don't have to be over it, right? You can yes. choose to make different decisions about how you show up and still not be over it. Right. And and telling yourself to get over it doesn't actually solve the problem. It doesn't fix anything. What it really takes is like doing the work that you're doing right now all the time. Yeah. Giving yourself the grace to say, when I compare myself to my sister's it's not because I'm a bad person or because I haven't healed or because I am not doing enough to like change my thought patterns. It's because it's a deeply ingrained habit that has been inflicted on me. Yeah. Right? That I've been taught. Absolutely. And now, and I'm trying to do different and I know it's going to come up over and over and over again. I know it is. So what are the, what are the protocols that I have in place to soothe when I know that this thing is going to come up for me? What are the things that I'm going to do to to help myself rather than saying like, I'm stuck in this pattern and I need to get out of it. What are the, what are the things that you're going to do in response to this really understandable and learned reaction that you're having to what society and the people in your life have done to you? Yeah, absolutely. I love this conversation. Um, to our letter writer, thank you so much for being so vulnerable with what you consider to be a silly and shameful question, but <laughs> one that I know that so many people are going to relate to. Um, and you're doing a good job. You're doing absolutely. You're doing everything right. Um, and we love you. We love you very much. Thank you so much for writing.
All right. Our next letter comes from anxiously attached gay, whose pronouns are he, him, (laughs) who is writing from the black hole growing in my stomach. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do for this podcast. I'm a 21-year-old queer man, and I started listening to Just Break Up in March 2020 after a friend recommended it to me when I was in the throes of my first real breakup, and I have been religiously listening ever since. Words cannot express how grateful I am for both of you and how much your words of wisdom have helped me through hard times. Since the aforementioned breakup... I have been on Tinder and Grindr looking for intimacy and have experienced several unsuccessful romantic endeavors. I'll meet a guy on one of... (laughs) I mean, that's like, you know, that's not, you know, cheers. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations on those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that lovingly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I'll meet a guy on one of those godforsaken apps and think, wow, this guy is attractive. He seems nice and start hanging out with him only for things to not work out for some reason or another, leaving me lying on my bedroom floor crying like Olivia Rodrigo. I've been trapped in this cycle for months and sometimes it has felt like the universe is punishing me or trying to teach me a lesson, though I haven't quite figured out what that lesson is. But a month ago, I met a guy on Grinder. let's call him Will, and started hanging out with him. The first week we hung out on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Monday. For the first time in a long time, I felt genuine chemistry and the possibility of a real connection. Will is really attractive, really sweet, and really into me. He straight up told me that he's romantically interested in me, and we've mutually agreed that we're exclusive. It seems almost too good to be true. I know we've only known each other for a month, and we're still getting to know each other, but I think this could be the start of something good. Things seem to be going well, or at least I thought they were. Here's the problem. He hasn't hung out with me in 13 days. When I write it down, it sounds stupid or trivial, but those 13 days I've been feeling incredibly sad and anxious— I have an anxious attachment style and my anxiety is making me miserable. I desperately want to hang out with Will and lately each night without him has felt unbearable. I know that part Mm. of the problem is that over the course of the pandemic, I've been super fucking lonely and spent so much time alone that I don't want to be alone anymore. Loneliness has been my constant companion. And when I'm with Will, loneliness leaves the room without saying goodbye. I know I shouldn't be relying so much on Will to be my trapdoor out of loneliness, but I also don't have many friends in my hometown where I'm currently living who can I can hang out with. I'm mad at myself for becoming so emotionally dependent on Will so quickly, but here we are. Lately, my idea of heaven is cuddling with Will on his couch, holding him in my arms and feeling his body next to mine, kissing his neck. Uh, it's, it sounds stupid, but I miss being around him. My brain can't help but wonder. Is he not into me anymore? Has he found another guy he likes more? Did I do something wrong? I've basically spent this past week constantly asking Will to hang out with me and complaining about us not hanging out, but he's been so kind and patient and understanding, reassuring me that he's just really busy and tired lately, that he still likes me, and that he just has a lot on his plate right now, and that I shouldn't take it personally that we haven't hung out in a bit. He's told me that I am just overthinking and overanalyzing, and I know he's probably right. My friends have told me the same thing and advised me to stop asking Will to hang out and instead wait for him to ask me. One friend warned me that if I keep making a big deal about it, I'll push Will away, and that is exactly the opposite of what I want to do. I know that over this past week, I've become desperate, needy, and clingy, and I'm scared that if I keep acting like this, I'll ruin what I have with Will. Yet the emotions are still there. I still feel anxious and sad. And I feel angry at Will, even though, uh, logically, I know what that's completely irrational and unfair to him. So, Sam and Sierra... My question is this, how can I overcome my anxious attachment? What steps can I take to reduce my intense anxiety and escape this tornado of worries and doubts? S-O-S, anxiously attached gay. Oh, A-A-G, I love you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
thank you so much for writing. Uh, I'll start by just, I want to reframe, I want to zoom out and reframe something. Love you it. start your letter by talking about um, what you what you experienced prior to meeting Will, that you were on these apps and you would meet these people and it would fall through and it felt like you were questioning whether this was some sort of punishment or some sort of lesson that you were not learning. Um, guess what, my love? This is not a punishment. Like p the way people in interact with us, especially strangers, has no universal correlation with our worthiness or our value mm -hmm. or the lessons we need to learn. There's no, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. If we're, if we're edging into like spiritual conversations, I, I'm sure that there are lessons out there that we need to learn, but I don't think there's somebody up there with like a playbook being like, all right, send anxiously attached gay another emotionally unavailable person so that he can feel punished for, <laughs> I don't know, you know, taking too many M&Ms in middle school. Like, I right. just don't, I, I think that this is a relic, thinking that way is a relic of anxious attachment styles or also just like our, gener our cultural general like value that we place on ourselves. Um, but I just don't, <laughs> what was that face? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about capitalism and I don't I know if it's the right time to rail against capitalism. No, I literally, so we can move that's on. What, I'm, I'm so glad because I, I was like vaguely mentioning that. It's just like what I meant. To, and then Sam made a face. And so, okay. So what I meant by that is just that like, we are taught to not value ourselves. Like we're, we're taught to assume that someone's disinterest in us means that we are, valued less like a fucking product right? right um and if we don't participate in this universal valuing or like bartering of human worthiness then mm -hmm. I, I it you know i don't know anyway <laughs> this is all to say uh your past dating experience and this experience right now is not a it's not a, a punishment mm. and while you can learn from it it is not a lesson that's meant to rectify your wrong in the world, right? Okay. We can always learn from what happens to us, but these lessons aren't sent down to us um, in a way to like uh, make us the person we're meant to be. Every day we are becoming the person we are, right? Every day is a chance to be who we are and to, and to feel worthy and to feel lovable. Um, it's not... The, the journey of becoming is not like this path with these little riddles <laughs> that we have to solve. Right. It's just an everyday thing. Yep. Absolutely. And the other thing that I want to, to help reframe a little bit too is, you know, you talking about how lonely you've been over the course of the last two years because of the pandemic and you've been on your own so often in your, in your small town. Um, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yep. We're getting there. We're, we're getting to the thing. And then you were like, and I know that I need to work on this on my own, which is like, again, like so funny that we internalize these things and then punish ourselves for stuff that like is not actually in our control. Like, of yeah. course you're feeling less lonely now that you have someone in your life. Right. And like the idea that we need to solve our own loneliness is, is so, um, understandable. Like it is so like, I deeply feel it and I can imagine myself saying the exact same thing to my therapist or to a friend where it's like mm -hmm. I feel bad that I need people right and that I'm I'm not fixing my own problems for myself but like it's just so funny because it's like of course you felt less lonely 
when you were with Will because you were with another person, right? Like you were you were less lonely because you were with someone and your job isn't to like, and I, I just think it's it's so charming how you are like punishing yourself for the fact that this man made you less lonely when it's like, what other cure for loneliness is there besides being with other people? <laughs> like, right. like what other cure of it is there, right? And and so I don't want yeah. you to like beat yourself up for the idea, which I love you ancient, you anxious attachment people, because not only are you anxious, but it's also your fault that you're anxious and like it's your fault, it's your job to fix it. As opposed to doing the what? thing that would actually soothe you, which is like ask for help <laughs> or like I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna tackle that next. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so I, if, to me, I was I didn't read that sentence where you were like I felt so much less lonely with him and and was like oh red flag you shouldn't feel less lonely when you're around people. <laughs> I was like, of course That's you're feeling less lonely. It. Absolutely, like you were by yourself before and now you're with someone and so like of course the loneliness is eased. Like that's. That's the definition. So don't don't use this as another excuse to tell yourself that you are fucked up and that um, and that you are like undateable or unlovable because you somehow are trying to soothe your loneliness by reaching out to this person or like having this person in your life. Like that's a human thing that that's a, a beautiful, wonderful thing that you're doing to help alleviate the pain that you're feeling. Yes. And take it from another anxiously attached, uh, mildly homosexual. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Homosexual adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, For me, I so easily and so naturally forever felt like my anxious attachment style was a flaw in my being and was yet another thing that I needed to apologize for, Mm -hmm. was yet another thing hurdle on that path of becoming that I hadn't conquered yet because I felt like if I could get over my anxious attachment style and stop being so fucking needy and anxious, then, then I would, I would cross that threshold and get into the, the whole secure, stable person that I wanted to be instead of recognizing that I am the person I want to be right now. And that my desires and my anxieties and my and and more importantly like my my unconscious triggers things that i have been taught in childhood in adolescence in you know in through society through my experiences things that, that have been conditioned in me are not a flaw i am not a problem to be solved you are not a problem to be solved and the first step to like don't get me wrong i want to be more secure but the first step to my security in my, in my relationships is to accept my anxious attachment style is mm-hmm. to say, this part of me is not broken. This is just how I learn to survive and protect myself. Mm-hmm. Once you treat yourself with loving kindness, once you accept that part about yourself, then you no longer see yourself as a problem to be solved. And then you can approach it with different tools. Um, so when you ask us, like, how do I get over my anxious attachment style? I, I just want you to first say, like, I have an anxious attachment style and I love that part of myself. Mm-hmm. I love this part of myself because it is okay that I am that I want human engagement because it is okay because that I crave um the intimacy and touch of other people. It is mm-hmm. okay that I want things from other people. Mm-hmm. And it is okay that at some point in my being, 
I was taught if I don't get those things, I am not lovable. I am not worthy. I am, uh, I've done something wrong and I need to change my behavior. It's okay that that's what my brain learned to do. I forgive myself for being so anxious because it's, my brain is doing what it was taught to do. You know what I mean? Like we have to accept that the motion that we may not like as anxious attached people, like the motion of that anxiety, I hate, but I have to accept and love and forgive myself for that learned behavior in the first place before I try to adapt my reactions. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are all of us interdependent. Even the most avoidant attached, avoidantly attached person wants attachment right? It, they're, they're not going to get in it or doing it necessarily, but like we all want attachment. So there's nothing yeah. inherently wrong with you wanting it or wanting more of it, right? That it's not a problem. But like Sierra said, if you can be aware of it, if you can love it, if you can figure out tools that you can use to help soothe yourself, not by telling yourself you're awful and that you shouldn't want to need other people, but instead being like, this is something that I need. And it's, it is a perfectly acceptable need that I have and can ask for support on. Then you can begin to like use tools that are going to help you assuage some of that anxiety um, in a meaningful way. Right. And not tell yourself that you're the one that has to do it all the time. So like, yeah, I'll say too, if I was dating someone and I didn't see them for 13 days, I would also be in my feelings about it right like that's that is like a long time to go without seeing somebody um and so i don't think it's weird that you're like you're sort of feeling having a lot of feelings about this like that's a long time to go without seeing this person that you're dating that you are really excited to be hanging out with that you want to be in presence with that you want to touch that you want to talk to like that seems like a pretty reasonable thing to have some feelings about right and I think it's also reasonable that like y'all haven't seemed to find a cadence around what you can expect in terms of how often you're going to see each other. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. feel weird to me either. Like that mm. is also That's a great thing that would also be anxiety inducing for me as somebody who isn't is and never has been anxiously attached. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like. So what are the things that you can ask for? Like, what are some of, if you can know yourself more deeply and you can love yourself for your anxious attachment style, then you can ask for what you need, which might be to say, hey, uh, Will, we haven't seen each other in 13 days. It would be really helpful for me if we could just set a a date that we're going to stick to so that I know that it's going to happen soon, right? So none of, so I would, it's going to help me if I don't have to ask you every day if we're going to hang out, but instead if we could like make a concrete plan for sometime in the future so that I can know that when it's coming up and I can prepare for it or to say, will I really, really want to see you. Is it okay that I ask you every day that to, to hang out? Like what is, what are the parameters or protocols in this relationship around how we decide whether or not we're going to hang out? So like, Mm -hmm. You're never going to be able to do that if you're sort of still continuing to to hate this anxious, anxious attachment style and the way that it's showing up. But instead, just accepting it and saying like, OK, what's going to what's going to be helpful for me? Knowing that I can't change the fact that I have this anxious attachment style. It's like it's there. It's ingrained. So what are the things that I can ask for to help support myself, knowing that this is something that I'm going to be dealing with all the time? Right. I totally agree. Um, I also would be like, can we see each other? Like, are we 
dating. <laughs> like this would, this would trigger me. Um, not just my anxious attachment style, but it, I just think it's such an interesting move to be like, I didn't get to see my significant other who, or, or however you're declaring yourselves as, um, I didn't get to see my significant for significant other for 13 days. And yet it is my problem for wanting to see them. Right. That doesn't really make sense. Um, no. I, th I think that again, something that us anxious attached, anxiously attached folks do that's harmful is we take our desires and see them as flaws and not as like great right. things. It's a right. great thing to want to see your boyfriend. It's a great thing to want to connect with other humans and not feel lonely. Those yep. are like superhuman superpowers, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> connection is our, is our superpower. And I want you to not um, villainize yourself for that. So I think Sam and I are encouraging you to, um, in addition to, uh, maybe reaching out to Will and saying, trying to establish some more clear, um, you know, to validate your desires and establish more of a clear understanding of when and how you're going to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. We really just want you to pr practice or imagine a world in which you didn't think of yourself as too much, that you didn't think of yourself as too needy, that you didn't automatically take your needs and fold them into a flaw Yep. And instead, held them, loved them, nurtured them, nurtured these anxieties and say, why am I feeling anxious? What what taught me that this love is not safe or that this love is mm -hmm. conditional? Um, that if I don't, that what taught me that if I have needs, then I'm going to lose love. So, right. um, yeah, we, we know that this is a, is a big can of emotional worms. Sure. Um, but... Like I said before, I couldn't address my anxiety until I welcomed it, until yep. I said, I love you, anxiety. I love I love what you're trying to protect me from. I love what you're trying to do for me and that I am not broken um, before I could change the way my brain reacted to things. Yeah. And I think as you're thinking about too, those things that Sierra said around like, imagine a world where you aren't too much, where you aren't too needy, where your needs are not unreasonable. Um, and I want you to move through the world as if that were true, even if you don't believe it yet. Right. Mm. I want you to, I want you to do the practices of, of, of what you would do if that were true. Even if you're in a place where you're like, that could never possibly be the reality because the patterns that we establish for ourselves help shape our worldview. So if you're moving through the world as if you're not too much, as if it's not unreasonable to ask your your exclusive boyfriend to hang out with you once in at least 14 days, right? And you're behaving in that way, it becomes easier to believe because you'll the that belief will be reinforced by the fact that you're behaving in a particular way and people are are also receiving that behavior as well. So I know it can be hard to shift and change some of our own perceptions of ourselves. And like, sometimes it's like, you got to love yourself. And people are like, huh, huh, but how can you move through the world as if you do so that it begins to cultivate the right environment for you to actually believe that it's true. I love that. And I just want to really quickly add on top of all of this, if will is like, I don't want to see you or why are you being so needy? your worthiness, the value of your needs is not contingent on other people. Like this right. is a huge blanket statement that like 
yeah, we want you to go out there and get what you want from Will. And if Will doesn't agree to give you it, that doesn't mean your needs are invalid. If mm-hmm. you quote unquote push him away because you want to see him again, then then that means that person is emotionally unavailable and unsafe for you, not your needs. Your needs aren't what's unsafe or un, un, emotionally unavailable, right? It's the right. other person. Um, and I know that's so hard because like Sam just pointed out, it, you know, we're like, love yourself and then like, go get the love that you want. Uh. But <laughs> <laughs> it's really about recognizing that these, that these, that you are valuable and worthy of your needs being met, whether or not they're met by other pers- people or not, right. whether or not um, they come out in an anxious or secure way. Absolutely. All right, my darling. Yes. We lo- <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so we- much for writing. <laughs> we love you so much. <laughs> it's like we haven't been doing this for three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone, this brings us to the blind date segment of this episode. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with. Uh, It is a graphic novel. Um, I was uh, recently re-inspired to take out some graphic novels from the library after the whole mouse uh, graphic novel being banned. Um, And just remembering like what's there's such... So there's some really great pieces of literature out there. So one of them that we took out per the suggestion of a friend is called The Secret to Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechtel. And I was like looking at it and Willow was telling me about it. And I was like, man, that name sounds so familiar. And all of a sudden it hit me. There's the Bechtel test um, Mm -hmm. that this uh, author and graphic novelist um, did like came up with in like the 80s or 90s or something. That's basically like a ground level (laughs) assessment of whether or not a film is um like mildly feminist or like yeah like not even feminist but not just like not not base masculine (laughs) yeah it's it's the 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 bechtel test really quickly is just like do are there more than is there more than one female character who have names uh, who have names, which was an addition, by the way. Yep. Um, and do they t- talk to each other, number two? And do they talk to each other about something more than men? Um, or their That's relationship? An, it's an embarrassingly small number of movies that pass that test. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, <laughs> that made me even more excited to read it. Um, the graphic novel is basically, uh, they have a lot of graphic novels, or like they're they are a an acclaimed um, comic. Um but this one's basically about her um, obsession and, or fascination with like every fitness craze and and how wh- where she learned it and um, how it was kind of this manifestation of soul searching or value searching or something like or like being afraid of facing death or whatever. And then it turns into this bigger conversation about um, the secret to superhuman strength lies not in six pack abs or perfect health, but in something much less clearly defined. And she gets into a little bit of Eastern philosophy and spirituality. And it's just a very interesting book so far. I'm not done with it, um, but uh, we got it at the library and I thought it sounded like a perfect blind date for folks to get out of their local libraries or purchase. <laughs> That's great. I love that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. 
You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes, but most importantly, you can submit your questions of all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find your our merchandise and tickets to our live show happening Sunday, March 6th at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. East Central. There we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's our Just Break Up Spring Break show, um, and you can get your tickets at justbreakuppod.com. They're just $5. Amazing. Virtual, virtual live show. Virtual live show, yes. Please remember to follow and subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, And consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode plus access to our back catalog of over 100 episodes plus discounted tickets to our live show as well. Yeah, I got to put that discount up. What a deal. What, What a deal. A deal. That's patreon.com slash pod. This literally keeps our mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Just Break Up is a production of Duvid Media, original music, recording, editing, producing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music and his brand new podcast, Finding Quantum Quest. And remember... What if today you decided that you are not only doing your best, but you are your best right now? Because every day we have a chance to be our best and to redefine what that means for us. What if you decided that your body is enough, that your heart is enough, that your desires are enough? What if you moved through this world accepting yourself as is right now before considering yourself a problem to be solved? Mm. And if all else fails... Just break up.